what's going on with y'all? You're listening to You Should Be the Car with You Parents Podcast, where we bring a global perspective to you. What's going on, y'all? Today we have my buddy, Eric, who is an avid traveler, who's a personal trainer, who wants to talk about Peru today on the podcast. And um, Eric, what's going on? Hello, hello. How's it going, guys? I appreciate hey. you having me on. What's going on? Awesome, Good awesome. Work. And Eric, why Peru? Peru. Well, number one, because I'm about to get married to a Peruvian. So that oh, was the, no. yep. So that, that's the big. Congratulations. Hit. Yeah. My wedding's actually in about three and a half weeks. And I went All to right. Peru with her, Diana, uh, my fiance about a year and a half, two years ago. And we've been seeing each other for like three and a half years. So a little over a year into our relationship, um, you know, wanted to meet her mother who lives there and some of her other extended family. And then on top of that, you know, another week and a half on top of seeing her family, just go and travel around because she actually had never been there it, to the different areas that I'll get into in a little bit. So, yeah, we had a great time meeting her family, but then also hitting the different spots that were more for the tourists and then also some local spots that not many tourists actually hit. Start with the um, the tourist spots. Go ahead and uh, jump into that. What kind of like tourism uh, kind of activities did you did you run through? Yeah, so the most common one is Machu Picchu. You know, so most oh, people just right, right. fly yes. into Lima, and uh, Diana and I flew into Lima. Spent about a week just visiting her parents, like I was talking about before, her mother, and then we took a flight to Cusco, which is the closest to Machu Picchu. I don't know if I could call it a city or a village or a town, whatever they call it. I probably a town because it does have an extremely small airport, but the population is very, very low. Just brick roads and just beautiful people, amazing outfits everywhere. And you can very much see that all the families that were there hundreds of years ago are actually still there. And when I got to meet some of them, they dived into the building of the tourism industry in their city and how, you know, some people, they have mixed emotions about that, some positive, some negative, but it was very interesting to meet different locals that actually had positive views about how the public eye was able to come to their little village of Cusco. And then obviously continue being the middleman for people to come to Machu Picchu. So now, did you hike into Machu Picchu or did you take that train ride and just kind of walk a few feet uh, for the end? Like, how was that? How was the difference between those two? Yeah, good question. So Diana and I, we just took the train. I actually have been to Peru before, before I went there with Diana about a year and a half, two years ago. I went about four years ago with somebody else and just a friend of mine, and we actually took a taxi from Cusco and went along the trail of the train and just stopped at these little cities, these little uh, villages. And at those villages, we just went to the different ruins that were on the mountain uh, mountainsides and some on mountaintops that, again, not many tourists like ever have seen, know about, and really only the locals can get you there. So we ended up trekking around uh, the different hills and mountains and stuff that are on the way to Machu Picchu. And then the second time I flew into Cusco, Diana and I, which was about two years ago, we ended up taking the train straight from Cusco to Aguas Caliente, which is the small little village right around the bend of Machu Picchu. 
that's super cool. And what do you, what kind of things were you able to do in Aguascalientes? That means hot water for my limited Spanish. That's oh, all I can tell go. you is hot water. <laughs> was some springs there, I'm assuming, or yeah, you know, about? the first time I went to Peru, I actually did hit those springs. It was a local scene, clearly, because you know me being just a big white dude that just has long hair. I was a oddball and uh, getting all the eye glares and whatnot to seeing all the locals basically look at me and figure out why this tourist is hanging out, hanging out at their spot, which is funny. This is local only. What are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm exactly. trying to see the locals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot you know? of fun though. Uh, the Springs yeah. were gorgeous. And then on top of that, in Aguas Caliente, you know, just amazing food and probably my, in the top two things I enjoy about Peru in Aguas Caliente, there is just this massive uh, roaring river that just cuts through these jungly mountains as you go to Machu Picchu. And when you're staying in Aguas Caliente, there is not a single place in the village that you do not hear this river just cutting right next to you through the mountains. So for me, I ended up getting a tiny little hotel room with my fiance that is, I think it was three stories up and you're looking straight down into the river and it's super amazing. I mean, I sleep with white noise and talk about just amazing white noise as you're sleeping, just hearing this like thundering river right next to you that kind of feels oh, like amazing. you're going to get swept like, away in a building by it, but it is what it is. Yeah, you got nature like singing you to sleep. You know, like, exactly. No white noise machine either. That's cool, Exactly. Man. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I really enjoyed that. And then if you actually continue going uh, down into the valley from Aguas Caliente, down one of the dirt roads you take to get to Machu Picchu in a bus, you can either hike up the mountain onto Machu Picchu, or you can take a bus that just winds back and forth. I ended up just taking the bus because of shortage of time. But the day before, I actually did go down that road on foot just to look around and continue exploring the jungle area. And there's actually a beautiful little butterfly farm where the locals have set up Ooh. this big enclosure that just has however many butterflies in there, different different types. And it's just absolutely gorgeous and a very interesting and fun and different time that I was not expecting when I would go there. What did you do after Aguas Caliente? Yeah, so we just hit uh, Machu Picchu when we uh, woke up that, I believe, third day when we were in Aguas Caliente. And we took a bus early, early morning, then walked all around uh, Machu Picchu. We did not get to go to that second peak. And you might know the name of that because I know that you've been to nope. Peru. You said. <laughs> um, there's a second peak that's not Machu Picchu that's actually a little higher. And that one was, to my knowledge, for the like high priests of the Inca people that would stay there because Machu Picchu was only royalty. And I believe also some priests would stay there. And then the common folks would actually live down in the valley. And so that second peak that I do not remember the name of that one, you're just staring at it the whole time as you're on Machu Picchu, because there's just a tiny little temple at the top and it's some super sketchy stairs getting up to the very top of that one. They're they're actually like, you know, uh, alpacas and different creatures like that. Oh, yeah, there are, you know, I still don't know alpacas versus llamas. I couldn't tell you the difference. But there was one of them, tons of them on Machu Picchu just roaming around. And they had little areas where you could just 
see them roaming around the entire mountain and you could walk up to them and touch them and stuff like that. But they did have some local, I don't know if you call them park rangers, but they were there just making sure that no one was being stupid with them. But that was really cool. And then you could also see these little, I believe they were uh, local Peruvian chinchillas that you could see scurrying all over the rocks and stuff, which is very interesting and very cool to see. And then on top of that, when you go around Machu Picchu, there's um, something called the Sun Gate, which you continue going around the left side of the mountain where Machu Picchu is. And as you continue to go uphill for about 30 minutes, you reach this area where at a certain time of the morning, the sun will hit and shine through this little area of what, again, is called the Sun Gate and hit a specific area down in Machu Picchu, which is a little bit lower down the mountain. So Diana and I were also able to hike up there. And in my opinion, it gives you the best view of both Machu Picchu and that second peak that I was referring to earlier. So that's also a very cool thing. And the Sun Gate is actually the gate into Machu Picchu for the people that hike the Inca Trail. So that's something I found out because I have always wanted to do the Inca Trail and do plan to do it at some point in the coming years. Did you get to kind of do the Santa Cruz Trail that's also equally as famous? It's in that area. It's all through the Andes. No, I actually, you know, I did not have any opportunity to do any of the long treks in the area. Again, something that I very much would like to do, but yeah, haven't been able to do that yet. I think you have done that. Did I hear correctly, Yusuf? I actually haven't been to uh, Machu Picchu at all. I was not oh, okay. gotcha, I was gotcha. uh, like deeper into the Amazon, along the northern Andes and along the coast. So I oh, went there awesome. uh, for two weeks in the jungle and then I kind of did a little uh, tour of the northern part, you know, saw where parts of Peruvian uh, surfing were kind of started. There's like a debate between certain countries in the world where surfing first started. And oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I, I tried uh, surfing for the first time. Failed miserably, but... Uh, oh, gosh. You know, at least I tried it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. tried to learn how to surf in Bali, Indonesia. And same thing. Uh, I just failed miserably, but... Uh, <laughs> Have you actually done surfing in Lima? Because I know that no, the main beaches all. there are pretty intense waves at some points throughout the day. And especially right, I believe, before the rainy season is when the waves are best. Uh, yeah, that's very uh, cool. I, yeah. I was in Lima for just a couple of days, just getting food and trying all the street food. Over 4,000 potatoes uh, in wow. Lima and trying all the you know ceviches and things like that. Of so course. I was just on a food food culinary tour through the city. That's awesome. Yeah, I bet that would be a great time. What was your top food that you were able to put, to eat during oh, that time? Ceviche. Oh, hands down. Like I tried all the ceviches. Like there was a ceviche of every type of fish. There was a ceviche oh, yeah. of shark. There was a, um, wow. a ceviche of manta ray. Like it was ceviche wow. de manta ray. I'm butchering the Spanish, but that's how yeah, they yeah. called it. It was amazing. Oh, wow. Man, that's just, awesome. Yeah, the food, Peruvian's on my top five for culinary, uh, just cuisines in the entire world. It was from that one trip. It just, it knocked out like two other, yeah, it was amazing. That's awesome. That's so cool. What are some of the things you noticed about the culture when you was in the valley? What are some of the things that I noticed? I would just say that continuing on the food discussion yeah. that Yusuf and I were just having like, Food to them is just the thing. So I actually yes. went to, like I said, the first time I went to Peru, like four-ish years ago, I actually met some of the locals and just 
discussed with them the process at which they would be making their foods and dinners and stuff. And, you know, as Americans, we are very used to either hopping on a phone, tapping a few buttons with Uber Eats, and then having a one to two course meal right in front of our eyes in 30 minutes. But for them, they are very used to climbing around a mountain to gather herbs and then hunting for fill in the blank animal or fishing for a few hours, catching a big fish and that feeding a family and that whole entire process taking 12 to 24 hours to get one or two meals. Wow! So it's very interesting, the dynamics that the local Peruvians go through that are not in the villages or even major cities there that do still live in the cultural Peruvian, more Inca style hunting and fishing and food creation it's just very interesting dynamics that really open my eyes up to the reality of, I would even say the majority of the world, because obviously first world is much different than third. So that sounds like a real labor of love. They really put their time to cooking and the whole process and really put their all their soul into their food. So that's amazing. That culture yeah. is incredible. And it sounds to me that y'all based off y'all, both of y'all experiences that y'all can taste that soul and that love when y'all eat. Yeah, yeah. And I would definitely just say the fact that you could feel their warmth and that they are not dimmed out internally by the realities of the first world culture that we live in. So for them, when individuals come to them and actually desire to know their culture, they are not standoffish at all. They don't try to figure out false motives or anything. They just regularly love it and are welcoming tourists and outsiders into their home because of the courtesy that their culture has for outsiders. And I absolutely love that compared to, you know, I'm German and Dutch, and that is just not at all the Germanic way of being <laughs> at all. So back hundreds of years ago, that was just not at all the case for my people. So it's amazing to go to Peru and finding locals that are still keeping up the customs that have been in existence in the you know mountains and valleys of Peru. So just seeing that was very humbling to me and, and very eye-opening for the reality of their culture and their nation. What is the craziest thing you've eaten in Peru? What is the craziest thing? Uh, I would definitely say alpaca was by far the craziest thing. I was at one of the more nicer places to eat in, I believe it was, yeah, it was Cusco. And I was trying to decide with Diana what I would eat because I wanted something super local. And the two things that jumped off the menu that definitely, I believe, nowhere in America has it was alpaca and guinea pig. So guinea I've pig. I've had a guinea pig. Man, I, I can't, man. Hey, I was when I was a kid, we had a guinea pig. I'm not doing that. No. no, no. So I had no idea what they were bringing me. I did not know oh. like a, a single word of Spanish. I hiked this um, it's, it's like called Laguna 69. Uh, it's okay. just the name, and it, it's basically a giant mountain, five thousand meters, and there's a glacial lake at the top of it. Oh. Also, weirdly, there's cows. Oh, that's another story. Huh. There's cows walking along the trail with you, even that high at five thousand meters. There's clouds. Uh, there's cows. Sorry, wow. um, at the lake. But what I was saying was, when I came down from that, I was extremely just. Oh, I just I had the most insane just altitude sickness. I was. I felt like oh, I was about to throw yeah. up. I was exhausted. I I was not feeling good, and wow, so I just wow. went to the first 
street stall I, I saw and I was like, uh, just give me whatever. I just, at that point, totally. I wasn't even in my mind. I was just, I needed food. I needed liquids ASAP. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I, I was not prepared at all for those, at that type of hike. I didn't know it was going to be that intense. Not enough research. So this is why I tell listeners, don't do like me way back then. Do your research, yep. you know, really uh, plan things out somewhat. Don't over plan, you know, because that sometimes sucks the fun out of it. But, you know, just the, the basics. They just served me the whatever's on the menu. And it happened to be this guinea pig just floating in a, in a broth type liquid. Crazy. And I was just like, what animal is this? They didn't have, of course, didn't have any fur. Didn't, like it was. Missing. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get into the details, but it was just gross. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, yeah, uh, I'll just drink the broth. You know, I had a little morsel. Uh, y'all are going to hate me, but I had a little morsel just because I was like curious. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It just tastes like bland, chewy chicken. And so yep. I, just, I went to the next stall and just got something else. When I had alpaca, it was the most like rubbery. Mm. If you've ever had shark, like a straight up fillet of shark, it was like a similar, very rubbery, very dense meat. Yeah, yeah. It kind of was like a tire, like made of rubber type feel, probably because of the way that it was cooked partially, but also the dynamic of how tough the meat is because of the altitude and the conditions for the alpacas around Cusco and the mountains there. Their the actual meat becomes a lot more dense compared to lower in the valley mammals, which is something that I heard there, which is very interesting. So yeah, for me, the craziest thing that I've eaten in Peru for sure was alpaca. Didn't have the guts to do guinea pig. And, you know, I had tons of different types <laughs> of ceviche with local fish that I couldn't pronounce yes. and stuff, which was also very good and which I very much enjoyed. And the fruits that I still have no idea what they were and couldn't <laughs> pronounce them. They just looked completely <laughs> off the wall. You know, the movie Avatar, it looks like some of the fruits that they were eating, you know. Did you try um, aguamanto? Aguamanto. I have no idea what that is. Aguamanto? I have like no idea. cherry-like flavor. It's, it's tart, small orange fruit. It's, just, um, it's similar to the tomatillo. It's like a t- green tomato. The first one, are you referring to the orange mandarin looking thing that has little like jelly looking pods in them? Is that what That's you it. mean? That's it. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're tiny. They're tiny. And there's like oh. a little, you have to break the thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so delicious. good though. It's so good. The, totally. Um, the fruits and the Amazon is just incredible. Such a Definitely. variety. I'm looking to book my flight to, uh, Peru right now. There you go. <laughs> Y'all got me just fight, for the man. food alone. Just for the food, food alone. alone. Like, I'm sure. excited. <laughs> man, this is amazing. And Incredible. how was the transportation systems over there? Yeah, good question. The transportation systems in Lima were great. You had Uber, you had taxis. Most people, I believe, bounce around in taxis. You know, Lima is a very much major city. And uh, it's actually competing in many of the economic platforms internationally. So like a lot of imports and exports, they all go through Lima. So really anything other than Lima, the only form of transportation would be taxi. They're not going to have Uber. My experience of the taxis was that they were much better, more efficient, not going to use the word safe, but more efficient and more friendly than any other taxi I've taken anywhere in the world. The locals, yet again, thankfully, 
welcome in the tourists coming into their nation and love the fact that they can obviously profit off of it, but also do really hold up the character of the Peruvian culture, which is being hospitable and everything. And then the taxi services there, again, great, hospitable and everything, but it is a third world nation. So, you know, you might have two, a two lane road that people are just flying left and right of you. And there might be three cars parallel to each other, trying to get ahead of each other. Like those different dynamics, obviously sketch me out a little bit, but it's all good. I'm here talking to you today and there was no car accidents or anything like that. So you know, out in the Perfect. mountains near Cusco and stuff, it was a little bit rough going around the bends and whatnot, but that's kind of the nature of that kind of travel. Do you recommend traveling in an Airbnb or a hostel if you didn't have you no know, family over there? Yeah, I would definitely recommend some of the more major city, well, especially Lima, I would definitely say Airbnb because there are some very good priced apartments that you are able to stay in and like Miraflores that has an oceanfront view that is good prices, but you do get amazing location and stuff for a major city. That said, when you get more in like Cusco and stuff like that, it totally depends in my opinion, like any listener that's wanting to trek around, I would just say do a hostel. Everything is extremely safe. Everyone is very friendly. I think that is absolutely amazing. You know, Diana and I, we ended up doing smaller hotels. And then the one night actually that I got horrible altitude sickness, I ended up paying an extra like 20 bucks and stayed at the Hilton, which I was not expecting to do. And they actually gave you an oxygen tank, like one oxygen tank per 24 hours that you're there. Really? Yeah. So like Diana and I flew into Cusco and I immediately, because we were so excited, planned out for us to do some hiking around the local uh, ruins and whatnot. And like two hours in, I began feeling something. And, you know, I was obviously expecting some form of lag time and exhaustion and mental fogginess, but I was not expecting what I was about to get hit with. So about three hours in then to the hiking, I all of a sudden just felt horrible. And then about five hours in, I was felt like I was walking, you know, on the wall next to me and like leaning to the side and stuff and was just feeling super dizzy. You're supposed to give yourself a few days before you do a hike when you fly into a high altitude. Yes, yes. To acclimate, you know, to to let your body acclimate and get used to that height. And usually takes one or two days and it depends on you know, obviously you and, you know, your body composition, things like that. But yeah, it usually just goes one to two days. And after that, you're free, you're clear to, to hike. So that's the kind of an advice for any listeners to just, if you're flying into Patulco, which is where I did, you know, all these uh, glacier hikes in the 69, things like that. Or if you're flying into Cusco, make sure you kind of don't just plan things back to back to back. Actually, you know, stretch it out a little bit and give it a couple of days before you just jump into the exertion of a hike. Yeah, totally. That is very much the case. And as a matter of fact, most people, including myself, would assume that Machu Picchu is actually a higher elevation than Cusco, which is the platform city to actually take a train or taxi or hike into Machu Picchu. But actually, when you fly from Lima to Cusco, Cusco is about 5,000 feet higher in elevation than Machu Picchu. It's like four to five. I know Cusco is around 
11,000-ish, and then Machu Picchu is just under 8,000 feet above sea level. So, yep. yeah, when you jump into Cusco, from my experience, I would definitely recommend taking minimum 24 hours to just relax in your hotel or very lightly walk around in the like local square of Cusco where you're going to see a lot of the locals and their shops and whatnot and experience some of their amazing local cuisines. Yeah, that makes sense about Cusco because I saw that there's a sky lodge. It's a sky lodge where you can stay on the mountains, but it's like a hotel. Wow. It's outside of Cusco. So that makes sense when you said that it's a higher elevation. To Definitely. Do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, to add on to the recommendation, what Yusa was saying earlier, what's you have any other recommendations to people who want to visit Peru for the first time? Yeah, you know, on top of my number two to number one thing that just popped out in Peru, which was that river in Aguas Caliente before you go to Machu Picchu, the probably number one thing for me was going to Rainbow Mountain and the mountains actually leading up to it. Rainbow Mountain was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. This, seeing the different layers of sediment and the way that they shine from green to burgundy to gold colors, very beautiful. But the actual mountains leading up to it are these gorgeous uh, snow-capped mountains that just have this lush green landscapes along the sides where you see locals and alpacas and different animals that I have no idea what they are just grazing along the sides. And then you see these like sheer cliffs and these pools of extremely uh, turquoise waters and lakes and whatnot in the mountains there. And then Rainbow Mountain is a few thousand feet below those major mountaintops. So for me, actually taking a taxi all the way to the base of Rainbow Mountain, which is what you really need to do because hiking there would take, you know, weeks. That was probably one of my favorite experiences. And then actually to get to Rainbow Mountain, you can either do like a half day hike, but my fiance and I, we were not able to do that with our time restriction. So we actually rode on these small horses and we went along these like sheer cliffs. If you've ever been to Grand Canyon, similar to that, you can take a donkey down these like super steep cliffs. That's actually more dangerous if you walk them versus you getting on the back of a donkey or horse. So similar going to Rainbow Mountain, you can take these horses and just take these gorgeous paths along, you know, these beautiful blue lakes on these sides of these snow-capped mountains. So that's definitely something that I would also recommend to anyone interested in going to Peru and going to somewhere that is not very much to the knowledge of all the tourists coming in. Did you do any surfing while you was out there? I would have loved to, but I did not get an opportunity to. I tried learning in Bali, Indonesia, began to master surfing in Costa Rica about a year and a half ago. But both times I've been to Peru, I was not able to, even though I would have loved to, because going to like Lima, the coastline there, the waves are absolutely perfect, even though they're not crystal clear waters, but the waves there are absolutely amazing. Yusuf, I know that you have been to Peru before. Did you get a chance to go surfing there? Yeah, uh, I went to this spot called Chicama, which is in the town of Tujilo. And it's supposed to be uh, the longest breaking wave in the world. And this is one of the few places that were actually debated that they actually started surfing. When they were, you know, first discovered surfing thousands, thousands of years ago. It, this is one of the spots besides, you know, um, the Pacific Islands, things like that. And wow, this actually wow. wave is protected by law. There's no building within a kilometer of the coastline. 
and along oh, up wow. and down the coastline as well, just to kind of protect it. And so there's no, you know, it's so steeped in history, this area, that they, they definitely want to, like, protect it from resorts and uh, something messing up the, the actual surf. So it's, it's kind of amazing. Well, that's about wraps it up. Thanks for listening to The Appearance, a podcast for people that want to explore the world, make traveling part of their lifestyle. Peace. See you, everybody.